the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. The LPG market has not traditionally been a headline grabber, unlike its certainly cooler and arguably sexier LNG cousin. LPG has uh, looked a little niche, possibly a bit fragmented compared to other scale markets. But I would argue that it's probably one of the most interesting markets you've never heard of. And I think there's some interesting lessons to be uh, one from a little deep dive into the dynamics that are shaping this very interesting market. Joining me to discuss the dynamics at play, I'm delighted to say we have a special guest on this week's podcast, Charles Maltby from Epic Gas. Welcome to the podcast, Charles. Thank you. Good day. So give us the, um, the, the overview in terms of you know, what, what's driving the LPG market? Who are your customers? Where do you go? And, 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 and why do you think it's, it's more interesting than perhaps it's given credit for by uh, people in the press like me? Thank you. Well, maybe if I may, I'll start sort of with the big picture, which is around uh, how much LPG is produced in the world. So we've got about uh, 300 million tonnes a year of LPG coming out of the ground. And that's as a a byproduct of the uh, production of oil and the production of uh, natural gas. So wherever you've got oil and natural gas being produced, you've also got LPG. uh, Around about 60% of global LPG production is coming um, straight out uh, as a byproduct of that. And then the other 40% is coming out as a, a, a part of the refining process when you refine crude oil. So from an, uh, an LPG ship owner point of view, you're looking to load from either where you've got a long of oil and gas production or a refinery. Mm. Uh, from a global LPG seaborne trade, uh, we've seen uh, the volumes this year picking up to uh, over 100 million tonnes. Uh, that's the forecast by the experts. And uh, that's increased considerably over the last five years. Uh, and that's been driven by the increased investment in U.S. shale, in the Middle East, uh, in Russia. So wherever there's a oil and gas production, you've got increasing production of LPG and increasing exports of LPG. Mm. And just, I mean, for the for the listeners who are not you know, overly familiar with the sector, when we're talking LPG, liquefied Pressurized, liquid, pressurized gas, but we're talking primarily propane and butane? Yes, propane and butane, or a mix. Uh, okay. And uh, this uh, generally uh, was just considerably more propane than butane, uh, but uh, yes, you can see either moved. And the end markets of this, because I mean, it, it, it's hugely diversified in terms of where these things go, primarily because you're serving you know, the top end power plants and you know, feedstocks, but actually, the, the the fragmented nature of the market means that it's 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 bottled gas and these are these are markets that are are pretty dynamic and growing as well. Yeah, so if we look at the uh, the seaborne side of it and where it's ending up, I mean, in total, there's over a thousand uh, LPG carriers on the water, ranging from a few hundred cubes in size. Uh, gas is carried as it's defined in cubic meters, up to over a hundred thousand cubic meters in size. Uh, so that's the VLGCs, the biggest ships. Then you've got the coasters as the smallest ships. Uh, The big ships are are generally moving uh, LPG uh, into uh, petrochemical plants, doing the long-haul ton miles. Uh, So you could say U.S. Gulf to Asia, uh, Middle East to Asia, uh, U.S. Gulf to Europe, uh, that kind of route. Uh, And then from an epic gas point of view where we're involved, we're more involved in moving LPG for bottled gas. Mm. uh, And that's going into the cooking, heating, small-scale power plants, autogas, all over the world. Mm. into many smaller ports. So uh, a VLGC at the top end uh, would be going to maybe uh, have a choice of maybe 110, 120 different ports around the world 
from a pressurized LPG point of view, uh, the smaller vessels, uh, we can go into maybe uh, 300 to 400 different ports around the world. Which is a huge market to serve. I mean, where, where are the, sort of the big trades? It's, it's very fragmented. Uh, but uh, if you think of a developing economy, uh, then we're trading into those uh, into those countries and those ports. For, for um, uh, if you th- if you think about uh, LNG, say for instance, uh, that product, whether it's onshore or offshore, is going to a country where you've got a considerable population density, mm-hmm. investment into infrastructure, terminals, uh, pipelines, networks, onshore side. For LPG uh, going into the bottled gas market, you're going into countries where there's maybe a combination of low population density, uh, geographical restrictions, mountainous regions, islands, uh, and, and or a lack of investment in, in infrastructure. Mm. Um, a couple of examples. Uh, so Bangladesh, for instance, um, it's naturally quite uh, it's geographically challenging because it's on a river delta system where you've got shallow. Uh, shallow ports. Uh, there has been a lack of investment in infrastructure. Uh, volumes in 2017 were 550,000 tons. In 2018, were over 800,000 tons. And this year, they're forecasting maybe a million tons. Mm. So the growth is considerable. And the difference, of course, between you know, LNG, which does grab the headlines, but you know is hugely expensive, uh, both in terms of the assets, the vessels, but also the supply chain and infrastructure that goes along with it. LPG, you're talking you know, 15, 30 million for a, for a, a ship. You know, they're much more nimble. They're much cheaper. Um, you know, this is it's a much different market. Yes, the investment into a pressurized LPG ship, which is the simplest uh, and least capital intensive way of carrying gas. It is mm. literally. A, uh, pressurized tanks on board the ships, uh, similar to the the kind of uh, gas bottles you'd have at home for your heating and cooking, mm. um, and, and very large, of course. And uh, yes, those ships are costing between fifteen and thirty million dollars for new builds. Yeah. Uh, whereas, obviously, uh, for the bigger ships, you're looking at two, three times that cost. So, in terms of the the dynamics at play in the market, one of the one of the key factors, of course, is is, is regulation and. The drive to move people away from dirtier fuels to LPG, which is a clean fuel, and, and there is a sort of significant push at certain uh, government levels to, to to encourage that shift. That's positive for your market. Absolutely. So we're we're seeing a lot of developing economies uh, and their governments gradually regulating to encourage the use of uh, bottled gas instead of biomass. So that would be in India or Bangladesh or mm. Southern Africa, and that's uh, creating a steady investment uh, which is required into uh, terminals, pressurized storage, uh, bottling plants, bottles themselves, distribution chains within those countries. Mm. And I, I described the market as, as fragmented, but actually in terms of the, uh, the the ownership at the top level, it's there's only you know, a handful of players that I can think of. What, what, give us an overview of what the, what the market looks like at the moment. Uh, from the pressurized LPG, uh, we've got uh, around about 330 uh, ships on the water. Yeah. Uh, and the top five players um, account for about forty uh, percent mm. of the uh, the vessels, uh, but that still obviously means that there's another fifty or sixty owners out there running yes. uh, running the rest of the fleet. Uh, three, so yeah, three hundred and thirty vessels on the water. Epic Gas has got forty four of those, mm. which is uh, you know one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today was this this issue of scale and financing. Epic recently has uh, joined up with uh, BW. Obviously, a, a bigger gas player at the at the top end of the market in terms of the the, the vessel sizes. Give us a, a you know a few 
thoughts on in terms of how that allows you the scale to operate in this market and why that changes things? Yeah, uh, we're very pleased to welcome BW as a shareholder uh, alongside our other shareholders, and they're now uh, owning over 80% of the company. Uh, what it's done for us is uh, open the door on uh, being able to collaborate uh, and share knowledge in a bigger picture sort of way. If we look at the BW Group, they've got 300, 400 vessels in, in total in which they're invested. And the access to data, for instance, with digitalization and uh, digitization uh, ongoing that is very useful for a company of our size, mm. but also the access to thought, critical thoughts on the environment, IMO 2020, uh, IMO 2050, uh, and how we're heading there. Uh, and then also a general day-to-day um, access to, say, uh, debt financing and the insurance markets. Um, every 1% counts, uh, obviously, in shipping. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of 1% you can capture once you've got 44 ships on the water. And, and a few more if you're working closely with a company that's got 300 to 400 ships on the water. Mm. And this is the the reason I wanted to bring you in because I think there are lessons to be learned here. Because you know, we as an industry, we've been talking a lot about consolidation. We've been talking a lot about the things you've just mentioned: the uh, ability to access the right financing at the right levels, uh, the ability to utilise data uh, at scale to uh, allow efficiencies to to come through. You're simultaneously playing a, a fragmented niche game, but you're allowing yourselves the ability to scale up and do all those top-level things at the same time. I think that's interesting that you can do that, and I think it's interesting for other people who are perhaps not in LPG to see how that has developed. Do you think it's a sort of natural evolution of the market, and do you think others will now follow? I, I think scale in its own right is, is not the answer to the question. Um, if, you, if that's the question you're asking, you know, being bigger is not necessarily the solution. Mm. You have to be smarter as well if you're going to be bigger. You don't have an automatic right to, uh, to to support from a customer just because you're big. You have to be thinking smartly about how you can add value to the customer's proposition. And that requires uh, more than just being big and accessing com- working alongside companies uh, which are thinking smartly and uh, looking to the future looking to 2050 and the environment side Mm. uh, on digitalization, digitization, the data that you can access from, say, a partner who's got 300 ships will be useful for a company that's got 44 ships. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a bigger picture. It's not not as simple as being big. No. Okay. No, I understand that. But I... Let me, let me put it another way. Can I, can I get your view as a, a CEO of a company that owns uh, you know, a, a significant fleet of, of vessels? Now, remind me, what are, the, what are the age ranges we're dealing with there in terms of the fleet? Our average fleet is, uh, our fleet is average age, eight, eight years. Okay, so a relatively young fleet yeah. uh, in uh, you know, a diverse and, and slightly fragmented market. You're looking at the distance between you know, here and 2050, and I think it's fair to say over the last... Uh, several editions of the podcast, we've been looking at uh, you know how the industry grapples with the long-term uh, issues of uh, transition to zero carbon, um, the, uh, the 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 regulatory uh, impasses of you know perhaps things like carbon funds and and various other things. How do you how do you balance in your own mind on a daily basis the the long-term view of steering a company towards uh, a, a zero carbon digitalized future and the very real uh, thin margin business of, of, of dealing day to day with uh, you know an, o- an operation that requires scale and, and real attention to detail on what's happening you know over the next twenty four hours far less you know the, what yeah. happens if by twenty fifty. 
That's the trick, isn't it? That is absolutely the <laughs> trick. You've just described the challenge that every CEO faces, uh, and some of course some CEOs are facing up to the challenge of the environment and long term, uh, and some aren't. And it's really a question of motivating your entire team mm. to think long term, and to work with partners who can think long term, and uh, pulling the whole the whole of the organisation together around that. And do you think do you think it is a, a change in direction for the whole of the industry? Do you feel uh, you know as, as somebody who's been doing this for some time? Do you do you feel a shift in terms of how the industry is thinking? I do, yeah, absolutely, and it it's partly because uh, the industry has been asked to do it for a few years, and uh, I wouldn't say we've ignored it as a question. It's mm. just we don't know, we haven't known quite where to start, uh, and so then you need to have some sort of nudges, if you like, from. Uh, regulators and the IMO and the EU and the US government or whoever uh, around you as to where they expect to see you uh, focusing and then there's of course now the financing banks with the Poseidon principles giving Mm. us more nudges Um, but at the end of the day it's the industry that ideally should come up with the technical solutions to the problem Uh, and we may need some help along the way I'm sure we'll need some help along the way in regulations as well Mm. And whether that's in some form of carbon tax or some form of set time frame where set targets have to be hit as we go, um, it's all to be discussed, isn't it? But uh, yeah, it's the industry that needs to solve the issue, and we're quite capable of solving it. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I don't think it's an impossible challenge. I think it's very, very, very possible to solve. It's just a question of us working together. And coming back to your point, a question earlier on about uh, consolidation and working together. That's mm. where having partnerships joint ventures to mm. tackle this challenge really helps uh, one of the UN uh, SDGs uh, the 17th one is all about partnership and uh, working together and joint ventures indeed and uh, that's that's where this is critical I think wonderful uh, Charles Maltby from Epic Guest thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's Lift podcast thank you very much for giving me a chance to talk about the market